tonight on Huckabee, Secretary Sonny Perdue on America's Trade and Agriculture. Scott Rasmussen forecasts the 2020 election and casting crowns perform. That's Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Oh, thank you very much, and welcome to the very last show of 2019. We're having a great time, great season, great studio audience right here in our theater in Hendersonville, Tennessee, right outside of Nashville. We hope you're going to be joining us in 2020, occupying one of these seats out here. And by the way, the tickets are free. You can't get better than that, right? So for you cheap husbands out there, tell your wife... Tell your wife you're going to take her to dinner and a show in Nashville. Bring her to a show where the tickets are free. There's a Sonic drive-in just down the road. You can take her for a burger afterwards. Well, we are finishing the year 2019, and boy, I am glad. This has been a grueling year if you have to follow the news, as I'm required to do as a TV commentator and publisher of a daily newsletter. I'm frankly sick of the never-ending serial attempts to overturn the election results of all the way back in 2016. I mean, remember when it was all about Russia and collusion? And then there was the Mueller report and how it fizzled. Even though taxpayers, that would be you, spent about 35 million bucks for a desperate attempt to implicate President Trump. Then we heard obstruction of justice until that bombshell became a dud. Then it was quid pro quo then extortion, then bribery, then obstruction of Congress. Frankly, given how recklessly irresponsible Congress is, obstructing Congress ought to be grounds for a prize, not an impeachment. Come on. But Democrats in Congress clearly are frantic because they've had a pretty weak field of candidates and they fear that not one of them can defeat a president who has juiced the economy jobs, the stock market and wages, and who is pushed back against bad trade deals, and also pushed back against America getting sucker punched by foreign governments. We were once content to let the U.S. pay all the bills for NATO, uh, suck up the trade deficits, have endless wars in the Middle East. Now, granted, President Trump isn't always artful in what he says or how he says it, but he is disrupting the deep state of globalism, institutionalism, and bureaucracy. And the powers of government, media, and big business, oh, they're fighting back. Now, they're not fighting back to protect your interest, but theirs. So next year is 2020, and I'll attempt to give you 2020 vision into what we can expect for the coming year, which, of course, will also be a presidential election year. Here's what I predict. I predict Joe Biden will slightly edge socialist Bernie Sanders, and he'll be the nominee for the Democrats. And it's not because he's a good candidate, but because he'll be viewed as not as crazy as the others. <laughs> now, the media will ignore his daily verbal gaffes, and he will be presented as a seasoned and ready captain. Even though Bob Gates, who served President Obama and President Bush 43 as a cabinet member, once said of Joe Biden, He's consistent in that every single position he's taken on foreign policy is wrong. <laughs> By the way, I predict Democrats will pay a heavy price for having wasted a year with do-nothingness and millions of taxpayer dollars chasing down a reason to impeach President Trump. You know, they constantly use the phrase that they can walk and chew gum at the same time. Heard that before? But I don't know if you know this, but they tend to drop their gum on the ground and then get it stuck on their shoes while they try to walk on it. <laughs> Voters in their districts have been benefited a lot more by the economic policies of President Trump by the phony and hateful efforts by the Democrats to impeach him. Now, in some other areas, here are my predictions. I predict Tom Brady is going to announce his retirement from the NFL. <laughs> effective in the year 2045. 
And the World Series are going to feature the St. Louis Cardinals and the Texas Rangers. Now, not because I have any reason to actually believe that, but they're my favorite teams in their respective national and American leagues, and I just want it to happen, so I predict it. Here's my other prediction. I predict the Oscars will be canceled because no one wants to hear whiny Hollywood actors lecture us on their worthless political views. And I predict that CNN will lose so many viewers that it will cease operations as a news channel and will become a television safe space where triggered liberal snowflakes can sit in a dark room and watch a blank screen which will vastly improve the programming CNN currently offers. Yeah. And finally for 2020, I predict The Huckabee Show will win six Emmys and 10 Golden Globes for being the best show in television. And that would truly be 2020 Vision. My first guest is a former veterinarian, businessman, the first Republican governor of the state of Georgia since Reconstruction, and currently the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture. Now, he knows how to advocate for the American farmers because he grew up plowing fields and feeding calves on his dad's farm. He often said that his dad taught him, if you take care of the land, the land will take care of you. Would you please welcome the Secretary of Agriculture and a dear friend, Sonny Perdue. Mr. Secretary, thank you for joining us, and Happy New Year. Indeed a real friend, uh, Mike. It's good to be with you today, and I hope you all have a wonderful holidays. Thank you so much. I, I want to get into a little bit about the background, because I think when the president announced you as Secretary of Agriculture, I thought, perfect yeah. choice. You actually know something about agriculture. You grew up in it. Well, my mom and dad uh, bought a place in Bonaire, Georgia, 1938. Uh, they just recently married. My dad was a lifelong farmer. The blessings of meaningful, purposeful work, I don't think you could replace it from growing up on a farm. You mentioned feeding the calves, even at the ages of six or seven, bottle feeding calves to beginning plowing fields at eight or nine or 10, and then pitching hay. I remember pitching those square bales of hay and leaving the hay field going directly to our little league game. So <laughs> it was a great way to grow up. A big thing has happened recently with the passage of the USMCA, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada uh, Trade Agreement. Why does that matter, first to farmers, but then to every single American? Well, indeed, as you know, President Trump heard a lot in the campaign about the unfair trade deal deals that we'd had. This one had been in for almost 23 or 4 years, and frankly, it had been pretty good for agriculture, but had not been good for the manufacturing sector. This USMCA agreement, Mike, is better overall for the U.S. economy, particularly farmers and manufacturing in health and labor and environment and many other things that uh, make up a good deal. There, there's been a lot of pain from the farming community because of uh, some of the gridlock with China. Do you see that getting uh, resolved so that farmers who have big exports to China are going to come out in better shape in the long run? I do, and that's exactly what President Trump has committed and told me early on. We're going to make it better, and that's what we see happening here now with this phase one deal with China. Mike, you know that we've been in an economic war with China for 20 years. China's not played by the rules. They've continued to grow their economy at the expense of other economies, particularly the U.S.'s, uh, throughout these last 20 years since they joined the, the WTO. And uh, frankly, President Trump realized that decided and determined to reset this relationship where China needed to compete on a fair level playing field with the rest of the world and our farmers and, and, and manufacturers in the U.S. And that's what he's done. I think this phase one agreement is a great agreement. Hopefully China will realize that and sign it and uh, hopefully soon and we can get back to a more normalized relationship and our farmers will be thrilled. It essentially doubles the amount of imports that ch China will get from the U.S. Uh, over uh, any previous import record. Because of the way American farming is done so efficiently, we spend less uh, on our food than virtually any developed country in the world. How significant is that for the rest of our economy? Every family in America pays less 
for their food on an annual basis than any other developed country in the world. And it may be billions, potentially a trillion dollar de uh, mm. uh, deal. That means more disposable income in our family's pockets because of the productivity and the efficiency of the American farmer. We hear a lot about subsidies to the farmer, but that's the real subsidy that farmers are giving to the American consumer. And I, I hope more Americans will understand and appreciate that. Want to bring up the SNAP program? It's uh, been under fire recently because uh, I, I think some very common sense approaches that you've taken at the USDA to say that, uh, look, we want to help people have food on their table and, and you know, make sure that poor people have access to good food. But if a person's able-bodied, uh, they ought to be able to put something in, put some skin in the game to be able to get the benefits. So why should that be controversial? Well, I don't know why it should be controversial. In fact, Americans are compassionate, they're generous, they want to help people that need a hand up, but they don't intend for it to be a lifestyle. And so it called for 120 days for able-bodied, that's uh, no disabilities, for elderly, non-elderly, that's 18 to 49, Mike. We are elderly, I guess, after <laughs> you're over 49, so yeah. we're elderly, but... Uh, uh, then with no dependents, we're not talking about parents or pregnant women, we're talking about people who can and need to go to work. And the fact is, what you know what we're requiring of them? 20 hours per week of work or 20 hours to be in training in order to get the skills for a job or even they can volunteer. We think that's a pretty small price of skin in the game for someone to receive the generous and compassionate benefits from the Americans. I couldn't agree more. I don't think anybody that's out there working 40, 60, 80 hours a week will say, what, 20 hours a week? I'll trade places. Be happy to do it. Well, <laughs> right. Mr. Secretary, thank you. It is a pleasure to see you. Thanks for doing what you're doing for the American farmer and rancher. I want to remind our audience that you can find out more about uh, Sonny Perdue and the work that he's doing at USDA at USDA.gov. Follow on social media at USDA. Follow the secretary on Twitter at Secretary Sonny. Keith Bilbrey, we've got a field full of good things growing out there tonight for our guests. Why don't you tell us about it? Well, coming up, political analyst and best-selling author Scott Resmussen, and later television star Scott Baio, super yodeler Carrie Christensen, and Grammy award-winning group Casting Crowns performs. Lots more Huckabee is on the way. Washington politicians need to stop ranting and start listening. And rock legend Tommy James performs. And welcome back to the show. My next guest is a best-selling author, speaker, columnist, and pollster. The founder of Rasmussen Reports, he's now an editor and writer for Ballotpedia. It's a nonprofit and nonpartisan online political encyclopedia. His latest book, it's a real page-turner. Here it is. It's called The Sun is Still Rising. Politics has failed, but America will not. Would you please welcome Scott Rasmussen. Scott, welcome. <laughs> Great to be here. Delighted to have you. I, I love the book. I love the title because it gives us a little optimism. We do see that politics seems to be just collapsing. What has happened? Because, I mean, there's always been rivalry and conflict. And I mean, I've been in office before, and it was tough. But these people, they really hate each other, and it's just vicious now. Where did it just go off the rails? America has gone through a big change since the 1970s, you know, uh, from the time you and I were young when there were 13 colonies up to the 1970s. What do you mean, I'm still young, Scott? Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, sorry. That, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. When... Um, <laughs> The country, everything in the country kept getting bigger and more centralized and more homogenized. And people in Washington liked that. They liked all the power flowing mm -hmm. to them. And the political system wants to, to hang on to that power. They want every decision to be made in Washington. The rest of us want decisions made closer to home because we still believe in those core American ideals, the founding ideals of freedom, equality, and self-governance. And this, it's this battle to hang on to power in Washington that has made it so toxic. You've always been a person that saw things 
that were going to emerge that other people didn't. I mean, an example, a lot of our audience may not know you helped, you were one of the co-founders of ESPN. Yeah, that's done pretty well, I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, when it started, I remember people saying, who's going to watch sports all day? <laughs> now there's, what, 16 ESPN channels or whatever? <laughs> but you saw that coming. You saw that there was a market out there for that. You started polling using the internet when nobody else was. They were laughing at you, but your polls turned out, because I remember in 2008 when I was on the ballot, your polls were the most accurate polls that were out there in the marketplace, period. Why were they different than the traditional polling? The idea of polling is easy in theory. You know, you get a random sample of people yeah. and you ask them good, intelligent questions and you get good results. In practice, it's very difficult to get a good sample. Um, and in 2016, the polling wasn't nearly as bad as people think, but there, was not, there were not enough people interviewed who did not have a college degree. Mm. So that's one part of the issue. The second is the questions you ask. What are you looking for in the way you interpret it? You know, we've seen this impeachment debacle going on in Congress for the last few months. And, and ever since the hearings began, we saw a shift away from support for impeachment. Yeah. That had nothing to do with what was going on in Washington. It had to do with a blockbuster jobs report. You have to look at what is really motivating people, what they're really paying attention to. So the analysis matters. So how do we react in a political year? 2020, we're about to get into it. It's going to be politics all day, all night, disgustingly uh, too much. So how can we keep perspective? It's hard to keep perspective because we will be told every day that this election is the most important of your lifetime and if your team loses, the world is coming to an end. <laughs> In the book, I highlight lots of things that happened despite our political system. Does anybody out here have a 401k? Yeah. Okay. Congress never meant to do that. They passed a law in 1978 that had all kinds of other provisions they said were really important. And then some guy named Ted Bennett did something really bizarre. He read the bill and he found paragraph 401k that was either a typo or meant to do something else. And he realized he could create a benefit for middle-class Americans. You know, there's so many things uh, we really need. And, and what you're talking about, pragmatic, we need to build bridges, we need airports, we need sewer and water systems. Those are really nonpartisan issues. Everybody ought to embrace that. President Trump said he wanted to do that. Democrats said they wanted to do it. Why can't they come together on that? So when a Democrat looks at President Trump, they expect to see a crook or somebody who's trying to con them. When President Trump looks at Democrats in Congress, he thinks people are on a witch hunt against him. You start with those where perceptions. We, where would he get that yeah. idea? I don't know. One, I, yeah. I, well, <laughs> once you have those perceptions, you, yeah. can't, you can't get past them. You know, about 40% of Republicans think that if Trump is reelected, there will be violence from the political left. Hmm. About 40% of the people on the political left think if the president loses reelection, there will be violence from the political right. These positions yeah. are deeply embedded. The book is encouraging, and we need a little of that right now. So to start your year outright, let me suggest you get the book by Scott Rasmussen. The Sun is Still Rising. It's available now at Amazon, all major booksellers. And also, if you want to keep up with the breaking political news and read Scott's number of the day feature, visit ballopedia.org. It is on your screen so you get the spelling right. On Twitter, follow him at Scott W. Rasmussen. And I am delighted to have had him here. Now, before you judge a man, you need to walk a mile in his feet. I know it's supposed to be shoes, but the reality is there are more people who can't afford shoes than you've ever realized. My Huck's Hero tonight is providing people the opportunity to walk a mile in their own shoes for the first time.
Please welcome the president and CEO of Samaritan's Feet, Manny Ohome. Manny, welcome. It's so nice to have you here. Oh, honor, honor. Well, the honor is ours, and uh, I got to be honest. You know, when I first saw that video, it, it, it hit me that we take for granted that we all have shoes. I mean, people don't realize over 1.5 billion people, according to the World Health Organization, are infected with salt-transmitted parasites and infection in their feet because they have no shoes. Over 13 million children that live in poverty in the United States, their, their parents got to decide, do I buy shoes? Do I buy food or groceries so my kids can go to school? You know something about this firsthand, don't you? I do. Uh, you can tell from my accent, I'm not from Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> You're not from Mississippi either, right? that's right. <laughs> you know, I'm from Lagos, Nigeria. Um, mm -hmm. I was born in a first-generation Christian family. I was, uh, at the age of nine, my job is to help my mom go sell water and soft drinks at parks. Uh, and one day, I showed up at this park in Lagos, Nigeria, to go sell water and soft drinks. And it was this group of missionaries that were there to come teach African children how to play sports. Uh, see, governor, you know, in my country, this is round and bounce. We kick them, you know. <laughs> but they call this one basketball. And this missionary, Dave from Wisconsin, I said, we're going to have a shooting competition. He said, the price for the winner is going to be a new pair of shoes. I was one of the few that got picked. Governor, I never played basketball in my life. But that day was like angels was working overtime. The shot I took <laughs> went in. Like Michael Jordan it, goes to it, Nigeria, it, huh? It, it was, uh, I, be I became the first person, not just in my family, but my community owned a pair of tennis shoes that day. Wow. Changed my life. Here you are, just a street kid in Nigeria. A missionary gives you a pair of shoes and tells you to dream. You start doing it, the next thing you know, you get a scholarship to come to the U.S., play basketball. But you didn't just say, boy, I'm lucky. You took what you had experienced. Now millions of kids around the world get shoes because of you. 300 million kids in Africa alone wake up in there with no shoes on their feet. I said, somebody ought to do something about this. Mm. Came back five years later, my wife and I started Samaritan's Feet with a vision to go put shoes on the feet of 10 million kids. And uh, we said, we're just not going to give them shoes, Governor. He said, uh, before we give them a pair of shoes, we're going to wash their feet. Uh. We're going to bandage their wound. We're going to remind them that the God of the universe has a plan for their life. And that's what we do all over the world. You know, I just believe there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people watching us who are saying, I want to help that guy. I want to help him put shoes on kids' feet. How can they do that? What can they do to help you? Well, they can go to our website. Um, you know, one of the biggest things that we do at SamaritanSpeed.org, um, around back to school, we serve hundreds of thousands of people. Next year, we're going to serve over a million. And you got a beautiful book called... I love the title, Soul Purpose, Soul, S-O-L-E. Uh, you can get your copy of Manny's book, Soul Purpose, on Amazon. And find out how you can help further the mission of Samaritan's Feet. Visit SamaritansFeet.org. Stay updated, get involved, follow them on social media as well. Manny, what a story, what a blessing to have you here. Keith, I want you to tell us What's coming up next? Put your feet fully into it and tell us. Next, Yodel Master Carrie Christensen, then actor Scott Bale, global business influencer Solomon Darwin, and casting crowns perform on Huckabee. I want you to be sure to stop by Huckabee.tv after the show because we've got an incredible, in case you missed it, after the show that'll wrap up the year that includes a man posting online dating ads for his duck. I'm not making that up. And he's no quack either, I'm telling you. Okay. Uh, we also have a story about a woman who clears snow with a flamethrower. Uh, all of that and a lot more laughs on In Case You Missed It. It's after the show on Huckabee.tv. Well, yodeling was born in the European Alps. Herders would yodel to call their flock, and villagers would communicate by yodeling across valleys to a neighboring village. My next guest is a professional yodeler. He's here to educate and perform for us. I want you to welcome master yodeler, Carrie Christensen. <laughs> Carrie, welcome. Thank you so much. Great to have you here. Good to see you, Governor. Can anybody learn to yodel? 
Oh, uh, yeah, I think anybody could really learn if they put the time into it, just like any other instrument or vocal thing. Yeah, they can. So you play according, you yodel, which doesn't sound like a normal musical fusion to me. Accordion, yodeling. Bring them together and you got Carrie Christensen. Because most people think of yodeling and accordion as the two things they never want to hear again. <laughs> and you put them together and people come to your concerts. Oh, I guess. Now, now there's a connection with you and South Korea that intrigues oh, me tremendously. Is this like Gangnam style yodeling? What is, what is the South Korea deal? In Korea, uh, there are over 2,000 yodelers in Seoul, Korea and 5,000 in the country. Get out of here. There was a Swiss guy who ended up in Korea as a businessman in about 1940 and he started these little yodeling kid clubs. And now this is the third generation. So they bring me over there to do concerts and teach them my style of stuff. And I went there in 2013, and I just got back judging a yodeling contest. And in South Korea. In South Korea, yeah. Okay, you know we have to have you perform. So in a moment, Kerry Christensen is gonna perform. But first, Keith Bilbrey is not gonna yodel. He's just gonna tell you how you can get a hold of Kerry's music, which I bet you're gonna wanna do and learn how to yodel. You can learn how to yodel, just like me and the governor and Trey, by getting a copy of Carrie's You Too Can Yodel CD. You can find that as well as all of Carrie's other great music at carriechristiansen.com. You can also see Carrie live this winter in residence at the Silver Star Theater in Mesa, Arizona. For concert schedules, go to silverstartheater.com. And after the show, go to huckabee.tv for Carrie's one-of-a-kind performance of Rocky Top. And now, here to perform is Carrie Christensen. Coming up, a conservative in Hollywood, actor Scott Bale, then Solomon Darwin's American success story and Grammy-winning artist Caspi Brown perform on Huckabee. Well, living in America during the holidays can numb us to the realities outside of our own world of abundance. I hope you won't lose sight of how fortunate we all are uh, most of the people in the world live off less than $10 a day. Uh, so many people that Samaritan's Purse is reaching, they're focused on where their next meal will even come from. Others have been flattened by disaster, left with absolutely nothing. So let me encourage you, during this Christmas season and New Year's, call Samaritan's Purse, visit their website, and express your thankfulness to God's blessings by sharing a gift that'll bring comfort, healing, and hope to someone who is genuinely hurting, and do it all in the name of Jesus. What a great way to end 2019 and start the new year. Now, in the United States, millions of people live below the poverty line. Many children have a less than joyful Christmas because their parents are absent. Maybe they're in jail or they can't afford presents. These are a few things to keep in mind when holiday stress creeps into your heart. 
Well, for over 40 years, from child star to teen idol to successful actor, producer, writer, and director, my next guest has been a favorite of millions of fans. He and his wife, Renee, also help parents keep their newborn safe through the Bailey Bayo Angel Foundation. It is a genuine honor to welcome Scott Bayo. Hey, you got some fans. They well, are, uh, they're giving you the love tonight. Thank you. My, I, I appreciate that, but, the, but my wife's from Tennessee, so that's why. You think that's well, what Yeah, it that's is? exactly what it is. Well, I'm telling you, they are giving you the love tonight. Well, fantastic. You are beloved by a lot of people. You've, you've I am. had a lot of roles for <laughs> many decades. So people, but you've played roles that people like. Does that uh, help? Well, of course. I mean, you, you're, you're in somebody's, you know, when, when the, the, a lot of the shows that I did, there weren't that many avenues of television to watch. So if you were in somebody's living room every day because when, the, when the show would go into reruns, uh, it was important that you were a likable person. <laughs> but, but, I mean, you didn't play gangsters and, and the kind of people that folks just loathe. You played no. very likable characters. But you know what? I think most people who get to know you say, you know, Scott Baio is one of the nicest people in all of show business. Well, that's so nice, that yeah. comes through, and I, well, I think it's nice. why people like this just well, thank love you. I, to I see you. I appreciate, but the, the show. Thank you. But the shows that I've done, Governor, are also very family-oriented shows, and I think that adds a lot to it as well. We, we miss that. Yes, I why agree. Why can't we have more um, of just pure, fun, wholesome entertainment? People try to use shock, uh, shock value to get viewers to watch their show. You know, they, you, you have to shock the audience to get them to watch. And I, and, I, and I don't agree with that. I think there's a lot of people out there that really want some good, wholesome television. And um, <laughs> try to do it. It's not that, you know, any, doing anything in television is almost impossible. I got to meet your lovely daughter just before yeah. uh, the show tonight, Bailey. Yes. You guys had quite a scare when she was born. What yes, happened? Well, when she was uh, born, five days after she was born, we got a phone call from the hospital saying that she was flagged for something, but they wouldn't tell us. Turned out that she was flagged for a very, very rare metabolic disorder called glutaric acidemia 1, which is uh, a, a very difficult uh, uh, disease, and it's a lot of debilitating uh, things that come along with it. What happens is uh, the body can't process the protein. Mm. It shoots up to the brain and it causes all kinds of problems. So we had to give her a formula that wasn't giving her protein. Oh. So she was, and this, this is among everything else. And so she wasn't thriving for three months and we didn't know. Yeah. We were just trying to do what the doctors were, and the doctors were fantastic. Yeah. We were just trying to do what the doctors were telling us to do. <laughs> and, um, and then three months later, we found out that she was, um, uh, Sorry, uh, I don't talk about this all that much, and it's it's quite emotional for me. And we found out that she was okay. Um, After and then, all of you been through, yeah, uh, she's okay. She's okay. Uh, so, yes. So, during this whole time, we were online looking at different uh, different situations and different options that we had. We came across a lot of people mm. that didn't have a voice for these types of uh, diseases and. Um, we started the Bailey Bayo Angel Foundation to help these families and provide them with product and, uh, and special wheelchairs and vans and things like that. You know, Scott, it's an amazing thing. I mean, your daughter turns out not to have a disease. You create a foundation mm -hmm. to help the kids who actually have what you feared your daughter had, yeah. but she didn't. Right. I don't know if you understand this, but that's a pretty remarkable thing for a parent to say, well, I'm gonna help the kids that my daughter doesn't have the disease, but these guys do. But, Governor, I have to tell you, I, I, I can't take any responsibility for it. My wife was the one that, that, that you know, yeah. pulled me into it. Because then she's I, a saint. Yes. She no, is a she's, saint. My, That's my wife is a, is a good person. She's a very honest and direct person. She's, a, she's, like I said, from Tennessee. And she, God love her, she made a deal with God. She said, if hmm. you give me a healthy child, I will do this. 
I will start this foundation for these families. And she did it. And now we're in our, since she's been born, our 12th year, but we have a golf tournament every year. Yeah. We're having this one in September in, in, in where we live out in the San Fernando Valley. And we raised some good money for these families, and it's just fantastic. What's in the future? You're going to do some more uh, film, television? Do you have any uh, plans right now that are on the horizon? Well, I'm trying to do something now. I don't know if I'm going to go all the way. No. <laughs> I have nothing going on. It's an nothing. easier answer. I, you know why? Because ask anybody in show business, what are you doing? Well, I got a thing, and I got a pilot, and I got a reading, and I got a meeting. It's, it's all crap. So I, I, got, I got nothing going on. I'm going to hang out. Uh, I'm going to hang out with my in-laws uh, the next couple of days, and then we'll go do Christmas, and then we'll go ski, and then we'll, we, we have a good life, my wife. And, but and you I, have you know. such talent. You have such a great heart, Scott. And Thank I you. hope that... Uh, that you understand your audience out there loves you. They want to see you. So uh, take the time, enjoy yourself, and then get back on the film screen or television screen or the stage because I think we need more guys like Scott oh, Bayo out there. Thank you, Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure to what see you. What a delight always. having you here. Thank you. I'm Great glad to, to be here. You. Thank you so much. Thank you. You can keep up with Scott online at scottbayo.com. Follow Scott Bayo on Facebook and Twitter at Scott Bayo. And you can learn more about the Bailey Bayo Angel Foundation and how you can protect your newborn. Visit baileybayoangelfoundation.com. It's on your screen. Also visit their Facebook page, BB Angel Foundation. Well, Keith Bilbrey, he's kind of an angel of an announcer to us, <laughs> and he's going to tell you what's coming up next. Oh, that's funny. Coming up, Solomon Darwin's Poverty to Freedom story and award-winning music from Casting Crowns on Huckabee. According to India's caste system as an untouchable, my next guest is now a professor at University of California, Berkeley, and he's the father of the smart village movement that's lifting his countrymen out of poverty. His miraculous life story is told in The Untouchables, three generations of triumph over torment. Would you please welcome Solomon Darwin. Solomon, so nice to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. What a pleasure. Your story is nothing less than an extraordinary miracle. Growing up in the caste system in India meant that uh, you basically had to stop where you started. Yes, uh, the Indian caste system is evil. And this is a story about how God can redeem mm. and uh, save and do some incredible things and offer hope to people. We have um, a lot of uh, 700 uh, million people in this bondage in India. 700 million. Yes. Now, the servant, the, they're called the servant caste. In the, in, that's where you work. Yes. And I'm in the untouchables, which is even way below that. We are less than uh, animals. And what made you an untouchable? How do you fall into that particular caste? I, I never have understood that. Yes. We, uh, in, the, in the Hindu tradition, we believe in the reincarnation process. When mm. you die, in the next life, you pay for the sins of your past. And there's no way you can redeem. Redemption is not a possibility, and there's no hope. Solomon, how do you get from that particular position in life to being a professor at no less than University of California, Berkeley? I mean, that's a pretty big <laughs> jump all the way to basically Silicon Valley. Yes. I, I mean, that, that's, that, that's why you need to read this book. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you make me certainly, I think you make everybody want to read this book because it's a pretty remarkable story. Yes. Um, my, it, it's, uh, it's called uh, Stories, uh, it's uh, Three Generations of Triumph Over Torment. It's my grandmother who, as a child bride, at the age of six, she was married off to a man who was 20 years older than her. She was uh, basically a slave, a household slave, and she fought that, and her father didn't want her, so he gave her off as a child bride. So she went and uh, jumped in, in a river close by because she said, I have no hope and why should I live? Mm. And uh, the picture has a hand coming down, and there's a hand of uh, my grandmother here. That hand belonged to the hand of a missionary called 
Charles Percy Whitehouse. A young man mm. going on the bicycle saw this beautiful lady jump into the river committing suicide and he lifted her up and said, I want to tell you about a God who can touch the untouchable, turn your curse into a blessing so you can bless many people. That was a beginning and uh, he taught her how to uh, read because untouchables were in those days were not uh, allowed to read and write and how to add and subtract. With that little knowledge, she started a global business. She exported lace to England, pickles to Burma. She employed all their people in the village and she exported textiles and started banking. When there was no FedEx, when there was no email, when there was no cell phone, she started what we call a smart village. And that's what I do at UC Berkeley. Uh, teaching courses and building smart villages. Smart village, let's talk about that because this is transforming not just communities, but more importantly, it's transforming individual lives and taking people from hopelessness to hope. Yes, smart village is not about building infrastructure and buildings and uh, school buildings or tanks. It's about building people, empowering them with tools and resources. The human DNA does not require a PhD. It does not require uh, a bachelor's degree because God created us in, the, in, in his image that we are empowered with incredible capabilities. And when God lifts you up, it is unleashes and manifests itself. And that is the power of this story. You know, it, it is a great story of uh, God reaching down to an individual saying you're not limited to whatever system you're yes. in. You're not limited to the people around you sure. or whatever traditions because God has a personal plan yes. for your life. But then it's all about also the breaking loose the entrepreneurial spirit sure. in people. God prepared me from the time. See, I went to a school in this little village, donated my grandmother, which was a little mud hut. We sat on the dirt floor. We learned the alphabets by writing on the sand. And, and I never once envisioned that one day God is going to lift me up above from this dirt place and take me to America so that I can uh, be at UC Berkeley. Mm. And um, I never Im imagined that. But that's the story that I tell in this. And my father happens to be the first untouchable man to get a PhD from an Indian university. Wow, what a great, great story. You know, the only thing that would make it better than the book is, and I think it's happening, a movie yes. made of yes. the life story, Solomon, of your family. But you know, the reason I'm so happy to have you here, you give us not just a sense of spiritual hope and direction, which you clearly do, but also a sense of hope for people who are impoverished across the world and being lifted out of the hopelessness sure. of their own condition but also lifted out of the hopelessness yes. of a system that punishes them and pushes them back when God is wanting to lift them up. What a great story. What a great, great mission. Solomon, thank you, my friend. What an honor to have you here and a remarkable story. Solomon Doran's book called The Untouchables, Three Generations of Triumph Over Torment. It's available now through Amazon. Now, if you'd like to learn more about his ministry to uh, the people of India and support Untouchable, the feature film, please visit hopeforpeople.org. That's hopeforpeople.org. Write it down. It's on the screen. Learn more about this incredible story. You can also follow him on Twitter at Solomon underscore Darwin. Well, it's Keith Bilbrey's time to shine by telling us what we have next on the show. Well, coming up, the Grammy-winning music of Casting Crowns. Huckabee's back in 60 seconds. My next guest comprises a multi-award-winning contemporary Christian band. Songs from their latest album, Only Jesus, encourage all of us to live out our faith daily by serving others. Well, they live what they sing by serving in local churches and only being on the road when it doesn't get in the way of their ministry to people in their church. And that makes them totally unique. The power of their authenticity comes through in every song. Here now are Mark Hall, Juwan DeVivo, Josh Mix, Melody DeVivo, Megan Garrett, Chris Huffman, and Brian Scoggin, better known as Casting Crowns. Give them a hand as we welcome them. <laughs> 
So glad to have you guys here. Thanks for having us. I think it's one of the most unique, not just bands, but unique concepts that you don't just say, okay, we're gonna live in a bus, go on the road, make a lot of money. You serve in ministry, and then you take a couple of days a week and you go out and, and minister in song, but most of your life is spent in local churches. Yeah, that, that's what we've been doing from the start, and we were writing our songs to sing to our students. Uh, uh, teenagers will listen to a four-minute song a lot yeah. better than they'll listen to a 30-minute <laughs> Bible study. So I think they know I'll be done soon. So they like the songs. And then uh, as we started seeing that we could, God could use these songs in other places, uh, God opened the door for us to do that, but we didn't think that meant that it closed the door where we were, that we were supposed to remain in the church. And, uh, and it's, it's been an amazing journey for us. Uh, Melody, l let me just ask you, how long have you been with Casting Crowns? And, and when you go out, and then you get back to the church, is it sometimes hard to say, okay, I just sang in front of 15,000 people, now I'm gonna go back and serve in a local church? Uh, well, I've been in since the beginning, mm -hmm. um, and it seemed like two different worlds to me. I was, I'm almost more nervous to sing at home in our really? church. I think it's because I know all of these people and I know a lot of the things they've gone through, and, um, and so when I stand in front of our church, it it's makes me more nervous. I'm more emotional um, because I can't disconnect from them and, you know, because I know them all. Let's talk about the, the new album, Only Jesus. It's the latest one by Casting Crowns. They've all had great impact. What's different and unique about Only Jesus, this compilation? Well, any, any songs that I write are, are something that I've just taught in the youth group. And we were talking a lot about uh, being online and Instagram and everyone wants likes and everyone wants followers. Hmm. And I remember telling him one night that it, I don't think any hero of the faith ever got up in the morning thinking, I want to be a hero. Hmm. I don't think any, anyone ever thought, I want to be a great leader. They just thought, I love you, God, so much, I'll do whatever you say. And when people live like that, people want to see, they want to follow that. Well, you guys certainly have lived up to that. I want to tell you, I love your music, but I love you as people because I see the the genuine uh, spirit that you live and that you carry with your life, and it comes through in your music in a way that's just powerful. So thank you for being here. Thank you. Happy to have Casting Crowns. By the way, as we get ready to perform, and they're gonna let me join with them, uh, because I'm not gonna pass up the opportunity to play with these guys, <laughs> I'm gonna uh, let Keith Bilbrey tell our audience how they can get Casting Crowns great music, which they will want to do. Keith? You can get Casting Crowns' latest album, Only Jesus, anywhere music is sold. Go to castingcrowns.com for more of their music as well as their 2020 concert schedule. And after the show, be sure to go to Huckabee.tv for an online exclusive performance of Only Jesus. Now, here to perform Nobody with Governor Huckabee on bass is Casting Crowns. Let's all get up on our feet together. Can you clap your hands with me? Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. Cause all my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other not quite, with all the never get it right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for. I'm just a nobody I'm trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul And ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus the Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight And you picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world The moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm just a nobody I'm trying to tell all about somebody who saved my soul. And ever since you rescued me, 
You're ready. 